The scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew, chapter 27, starting in verse 62, and we'll go through chapter 28. Next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going, to, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mount to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Now, as I was thinking about this service, and as I backed up through Holy Week, I realized, and you realize this, that the resurrection is not just a one-scene play. It's not a one-chapter book. It belongs into a greater story. And there were many chapters, many scenes that came before this. And as I was thinking about the journey to the cross and to the tomb and to the resurrection day, I thought about this movie that I saw probably a little over 10 years ago. And it was based on a story by the same name. And the name of the movie is The Green Mile. And this movie was set largely in the 1930s. And one of the main characters of the story is a man named John Coffey. And this man, John Coffey, is 
if you've seen the movie, this, this man is larger than life physically. Just his body and his stature is just unbelievable. And obviously the movie makes him even look bigger than he actually is. So he's just a massive man. And John Coffey is, is huge, he's strong, but he's simple and, and gentle and humble. And yet he was wrongly accused of a crime and was sentenced to death row to await his execution. And while he's on death row, the guards, the prison guards, find out that John Coffey has a special ability. And that is, John Coffey can swallow sickness and death. In other words, if you are dying of terminal cancer, he can come to you and somehow he can take out all that which is killing you, all the disease, and he can swallow it and ingest it in himself and digest it somehow. Just a massive man. He could absorb it and you would be completely healed, and yet he can somehow absorb it into his body without it killing him. It's really a neat concept, interesting concept. But then as you continue to watch the movie or read the story, you realize that even John Coffey, who is this large man, bigger than life, and can do these fantastic things, he cannot, be, he cannot even avoid being swallowed by death. Now, I know this is Easter morning. I know the azaleas are blooming. The trees are being filled up with green life. And many of you are wearing nice and bright colors. And you're looking forward to gathering at lunchtime with your family and friends to share life together, to celebrate life. And that's what Easter is all about. We're celebrating life. And I know that. But as I look back on the journey that Christ walked, I realized that the only way this day came to be is that He walked through death first in order to produce the life. Now, I probably, I probably know that you, uh, you don't want to really focus on death on Easter morning. I'm aware of that. And therefore, I'm going to give you a little foreshadowing of where I'm going in this sermon. We're not going to end on death. Just giving you the heads up on that. But we, were going to, we are going to touch on it. But we're not going to end there. We're going to end on life. So just, just bear with me. When I look at the journey of Christ, I realize, and I know you realize this too as you read the Gospels, that Jesus had to journey through death in order to receive that resurrection life. And death is unavoidable. And we all walk in this constant rhythm of life and death. Even when you sit down at the lunch table today, something had to die in order for you to eat and have your life sustained. I mean, there's a constant rhythm of life and death. Many of us have lost loved ones to death, and yet we've also gained loved ones through babies being born, friends being made, and so there's this constant rhythm of life and death. And we all know that our lives are but a breath, but at the same time, we want that breath to be as long as possible, right? I mean, we, we want to experience a full and meaningful life. You know, I doubt any of you woke up this morning and said, you know, I hope today is worse than yesterday. <laughs> no, we didn't say that. We said, I hope today is better than yesterday. 
And even today you'll say, I hope tomorrow is better than today because we want life. We want to reach for it. We want to possess it. And yet at the same time as we're reaching for it and trying to grab it, we're constantly aware of the presence of death and its limitless appetite. Listen to how the prophet Isaiah describes death. He says in Isaiah 5.14, he says, Death has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure. You know, and you and I, we, we've been trying to keep death at bay. And so we feed it a number of things. We, you know, we feed it organic food. We, we feed it exercise. We feed it medicine. You know, medical procedures, plastic surgery, etc. We, we feed it all these things to try to keep it busy. But we know eventually it's not going to be satisfied with those things because its appetite is limitless. It's insatiable. And it seems that it, it consumes every living thing. Even John Coffey in the story, this man that's bigger than life, the, the largest man on the planet, and yet he could not permanently swallow up death, and yet he was swallowed up by death himself. And even this morning, you know what, the reason we celebrate the resurrection is because even the Son of God was swallowed by death. He journeyed through death into this resurrection day. Now, are you depressed yet? <laughs> I don't mean to make you depressed. I, focusing on death this morning, on Easter morning. But I do want to be honest with you. And I want us to ask the question, you know, what are we going to do about that? What are we going to do about death? Is there any way to avoid it? Well, we know the answer is no. Because people are lining gravesides all over the world saying goodbye to loved ones and trying to give some glimpse of hope that perhaps this isn't all there is. And so we know we can't avoid it. So what do we do with it? You know, I was reading not long ago in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is a prophet, and he's speaking on, the, on behalf of God to the people. And he is telling the people what God is going to do in the future when the Messiah comes, the, this future king. And this future king is the person we know as Jesus Christ. And I want to read to you what he says in Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. This is what he says. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken it will be said on that day behold this is our God we have waited for him that he might save us this is the Lord we have waited for him let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation so you get this picture 
of the Lord hosting this great feast on this mountain, throwing this great party, and simultaneously at the same time, he's dealing with one of the biggest enemies that mankind has to deal with, and that is death itself. And Isaiah, he describes death in some interesting ways. He says this, this death is it's like a covering. It's a covering over all peoples. It's this veil that is spread over all the nations. In other words, everybody is covered and affected by it. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 5.12, he says, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, because all sinned. In other words, it's our fault it's our fault that death has such a limitless appetite. And therefore, we need someone to come and deal with this sin and death problem. Or death is just going to continue to swallow up everything and have the victory. Now notice what Isaiah says about how the Lord is going to deal with it. He says that the Lord will swallow up death forever. So we see here the only way to, to limit death's appetite and to defeat the enemy of death is if death itself is swallowed up by God Himself. Now how is God going to do that? How is God going to swallow up death? How is God going to remove this covering that is cast over all people? How is He going to remove, remove this veil that is spread over all the nations? Well, we get a glimpse of what he is going to do about it and how he's going to do it in 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 22. And this whole chapter is about the resurrection. So it's a wonderful chapter to read if you've ever thought about the meaning of the resurrection, how it applies to us, what about the future when we die and Christ returns, what happens then. This is a great chapter to study. And this is what Paul writes in verses 20 through 22. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And then he goes on to say in verse 26 that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. In other words, Jesus is the one who is going to swallow up death. Even though Jesus was swallowed by death for a moment. If you remember the prophet Jonah. Jonah was swallowed by the fish. But the fish couldn't hold him. Right? After three days, what happened? The fish spit Jonah up on the dry land. In the same way, death couldn't hold Christ. He tried to swallow him, but he couldn't hold him. And therefore, he had to spit him back up onto the dry land with this new life. And the result is that Christ himself swallows up death. That is how death loses its power. That's how death loses its sting. And this is what Paul goes on to say in verses 54 and 57 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but let me tell you something wonderful. A mystery I'll probably never fully understand. 
We're not all going to die, but we are all going to be changed. You hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet, and in the time that you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. On signal from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At the same moment and in the same way, we'll all be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. This mortal replaced by the immortal. Then the saying will come true. Death swallowed by triumphant life. Who got the last word, O death? O death, who's afraid of you now? It was sin that made death so frightening and law code guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. But now in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death, are gone. The gift of our Master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. So the way death is swallowed up is through the resurrection of the Son of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the only way for us to go through death and enter into life is if we are united with Christ. If we are with Christ. If we're clothed with Christ. And what that means is that even now, today, we have to die to something. We have to die to our independence. We have to die to our autonomy. We have to die to this idea that I can escape death on my own. We have to die to this life that doesn't recognize Christ as my King. We have to die to sin. And it's only through uniting with Jesus Christ through faith that we can join with Him, not only in His victory over death, but also join with Him in this newness of life that He offers, both now and forever. And as Christians, we we don't run to the grave and we don't run from the grave. And the reason is, we're too preoccupied with living for Christ. And if that's true of you, you say with Paul, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And when Christ returns, those of us who are united with Christ, who have tasted of that resurrection life, will say with Isaiah, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Let us pray. God, we are so thankful that You have come in the person of Your Son and You have swallowed up death. You have defeated it. You have numbed its sting. You have limited its appetite. So that we, even though we may pass through death, we will enter into life. Well, we pray now that if there's anyone who has not united themselves with Christ, that even today would be the day that they experience new life in You. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.